Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, God also was instituting for the first time marriage and provided what would be the basis of our family interaction here on earth. It is the pairing of a man and a woman where each bring their distinctive characteristics to complement one another in marriage. The two are to love one another. They are to support and protect one another. They are no longer two individuals who happen to be side by side. They are a united and cohesive partnership. And marriage would also be the basis for God's gift of the family. God designed the family to be the place where we find our primary love and support here on earth, our protection and our security and safety, the passing on of values and the passing on of the faith and the raising up of the next generation. The family provides a healthy, God-fearing environment for children to be able to learn from their parents until the time when they gain their own independence and are able to participate then in society and in their own families. And families, as a unit, that family, it isn't separate or isolated unto itself either. Families naturally group with other families, and and so they come together as the building blocks of our society. Families are, are like the scaffolding of society, the framework of a community of people who are interdependent with one another. And so in that sense, healthy marriages and healthy families aren't just a private matter, Healthy marriages and healthy families are a public and interdependent matter because we all depend on one another for strength and support in our neighborhoods, in our nation, in our churches, and in our communities. Marriage is not only the most basic relationship in a society, but it's also the most intimate relationship that two people can have here on earth. And that's why God devotes one of the Ten Commandments to guiding and protecting it. He says, you shall not commit adultery. Now, when it comes to marriage, it's not as if all that God cares about is whether or not we've avoided the physical act of committing adultery, as if that's all it takes to have a successful marriage. Rather, just like all the other commandments we've looked at so far this season, this is a commandment about a gift, God's gift of family and marriage. And so we ask ourselves as we look at this commandment, have we honored that gift? Those fundamental relationships that we have been been given by God, have we honored that to the best of our ability? Martin Luther explains in the small catechism, we should fear and love God so that we lead a pure and decent life in what we say and do, and husband and wife love and honor each other. Now in the second table of the commandments, those commandments 4 through 10, which is what we've been focusing on so far this season of Lent, the focus has been on our relationships with other people, how we might best serve our neighbor. And of course, all of the commandments begin first with a fear and a love and a trust in God. And from all that then flows our love and service to our neighbor. And that's true for the sixth commandment 
as well. It's a commandment given for all those who are protected in God's gift of marriage and family. And so it's a critical commandment for all of us. It's critically important for all of us in the functioning of our own lives and and in the lives of our family members, as well as for our whole community and society, that as we've said, that families and marriages are strong. This commandment doesn't only apply to those who are married. Whether we are married, whether we one day hope to be married, whether we are single, whether we are widowed or divorced or any other station that God has placed us in, we all have a part in honoring God's gift. If I'm expecting or hoping to be married one day, I ask myself, am I honoring God's future gift of marriage for me with how I interact with those around me? Am I properly preparing myself for my future spouse? Am I making sure I am not taking for myself things that God reserved to take place within the safe, protective, and committed boundaries of the marriage relationship? If I'm single and not married, do I recognize that this is also an equally God-pleasing vocation? Am I, similar to how the Apostle Paul felt about his own life and and argued throughout Scripture, appreciative of this unique station that I've been given and the strength that God has given me so that I may be particularly effective in serving my God and serving my neighbor? Am I aware of the importance that I have within my own earthly family as well as within my church family and within my community and the responsibilities that I have to them? If I am widowed, do I clearly see my enduring vocation in the lives of my children and grandchildren? If I am divorced... Do I see how God has worked through the various circumstances in my life, not only to provide for me, but also to provide for others through me? You see, no matter our marital status, we all depend on one another and help one another do all we can to have healthy marriages, healthy families, and healthy communities. No one is an island unto themselves. We all can support one another in honoring God's gifts to us and making sure that we are living as he intends. We can all fight the good fight for the importance of strong, God-fearing men and women, recognizing how God has made men and women to be different and yet complementary and equal in importance. We all can be informed about what our government is doing to protect marriages and families, laws about fostering and adoption, laws about protecting the unborn and the elderly. We all can recognize wedding anniversaries among our families and friends and and other family milestones and celebrate those with one another because it's good for all of us to do so. We can all support families with young children. We can all support adult children who are caring for their aged parents. We can all come alongside those who are widowed and support them in their walk of life. We can all encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ to attend church regularly, to bring children to church, to bring families to church, to raise strong families that are supported by God's family of faith 
here in church. In other words, we all have a responsibility to hold in honor God's gifts of marriage and family. But we also know that when God's gifts of marriage and family are not honored, when they are not treated as something that God has given to us for our good, when we rather treat marriages and families as something we have created for ourselves and therefore can take them apart at will, not considering the consequences that that has on those around us, the consequences for our communities and our church and our families, when we, through our own sinful thoughts, words, and deeds, interrupt the healthy, God-fearing environment that a family is meant to be, well, then we know how quickly things can fall apart. It doesn't really come as a surprise to any of us. This is what we see happen, for instance, in the life of King David. David, who was God's anointed one. David, who was the foreshadowing of Christ himself, the ancient ancestor of Jesus. David, who was a man after God's own heart. David, the king of Israel who was supposed to be leading his troops out in battle, but rather chose to stay in Jerusalem. And so with all this extra time on his hands, David used it for his own sinful desires. And though he was already married, he desired another married woman, Bathsheba. And so he chose to take what was not his, and Bathsheba became pregnant with child. David went to great lengths to try to cover up his sin to the point where he had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, murdered so that his sinful relationship would be excused. Except it wasn't excused, not with God. In fact, it greatly displeased the Lord, Scripture says, and so God sent Nathan, the prophet, to rebuke David and call him to repentance. And it goes to show us the kind of damage that can be done even by a great king when God's gifts of marriage and family are not honored properly. And it goes to show us that these issues are not a recent phenomenon, that this has been happening for a long time now, ever since sin entered this world. Because the root of all of these issues is our own sin, our own selfishness, our own desires, sinful desires that dwell within us. And so that's why it's absolutely critical that as we look for a solution, that as we seek for a solution for all the ways in which we fall short, the ways in which we fall short in our society, but also the ways in which we know we ourselves fall short in our marriages and our families, that we don't seek for the solution from within ourselves. If we were capable of the solution, then we would have achieved it long ago. But rather, we need something, rather someone, from outside of ourselves who is capable of doing what we are incapable of doing. We need a Savior. That's who David's faith was pointing him towards for the forgiveness he knew he needed, the Messiah he knew who was to come. And that's what our faith looks to as well. The Messiah we know has arrived, Jesus Christ. It's no coincidence that the analogy that 
Paul, the Apostle Paul uses for Jesus' love for us is the analogy, the mystery, as he calls it, of marriage. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that Jesus is the bridegroom and the church. We are his bride. And as Christ has expressed his love for us, he has expressed it in a tremendous way. Paul writes, Christ loved us, the church, and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, without Jesus, we would only ever be sinful and unclean. Without Jesus, our marriages and our families would only ever be dysfunctional and problematic. But, but for all of our sin, for that and for all of our sin, that's why Jesus came. That's why he went to the cross. In Jesus, there is forgiveness for when our marriages and our families are less than perfect. Forgiveness for when our thoughts, words, and deeds fall short of honoring God's gift. Forgiveness for when sin and dysfunction in our lives tears down rather than builds up. Jesus died and rose again so that we might know his never-ending love and forgiveness. And Jesus presents us, his church, his bride, holy and without blemish. By his sacrifice on the cross, his blood shed for us, we are forgiven. And because of that, we then respond to him in our lives by submitting to him. In other words, we recognize the great gift of mercy and grace and salvation that we have been given. And out of gratitude, we no longer insist on our own destructive and sinful ways, but rather we seek to follow his will for our lives and for our families. The way Jesus has loved us becomes then the model for our families. The Apostle Paul says a husband is willing to sacrifice for his wife everything he has out of love for her, even giving himself up for her because Christ gave himself everything he had up for us. And a wife respects her husband who is willing to sacrifice for her like this. She loves her husband. She helps him. She even submits to him, meaning she submits to his leading the family. Just as Christ submitted to the Father, just as all Christians submit to our Lord. Parents love and nurture their children. Children obey and respect their parents. Families serve one another and grow together, and we all submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, so that together we may honor God's great gifts to us. It's not that Christians are different from the rest of the world because we have perfect marriages and perfect families. No, sin interrupts our lives, too. 
But Christians are different from the rest of the world because we know in the midst of our shortcomings that we are forgiven in Jesus Christ. And by the help of the Holy Spirit, we seek to live in light of that forgiveness with others as well. And so whether we are single or married or widowed or divorced, each one of us finds our perfect fulfillment first and foremost in our bridegroom, the bridegroom of the church, Jesus Christ. We have all been cleansed by him in the washing of water and the word, and we look forward to our living with him in all holiness for all eternity. And until then, we are able to love and cherish and serve one another just as we have been first loved and cherished and served by our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.